Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, Lori LeBay. And it has been one whirlwind of a week since I spoke with you last. I was in um, Watertown, Wisconsin uh, last week, and we rolled out what we believe is the first dementia-friendly community in the U.S. Now, there might be others out there, but I haven't heard about them. And if there are, please let me know, because in our resource directory at Alzheimer's Speaks, we did just make a category for dementia-friendly businesses and communities. And this um, whole movement is not about who's first. It's about spreading the word and making those changes. And it was just a phenomenal experience. So I want to thank um, the Lutheran Home Association and Heritage Homes and Jan Zimmerman, the um, the director of nursing there, who is really behind this. We had a beautiful um, social event where I was the keynote doing some education. And then the following day, we also uh, they also opened up their first memory cafe, which I was honored to facilitate. And what... what um, a meeting that was. It was, um, we had about a dozen people show up for the very first memory cafe and the honesty and the vulnerability, um, I'm going to start crying, was so phenomenal right from the get-go. Such a need and so powerful. And we had about a dozen um, community members observing because they want to do more of these. So the energy was just uh, so great to see. And this got picked up on the wire. And, you know, it's really getting out there more and more. So um, I, I'm just going to ask our audience if you can go to our blog and go ahead and and share uh, that information about uh, Watertown being dementia-friendly. There's a couple of articles and a, and a radio show that's been done so far, but, I mean, there's I can't even post all the articles that have, have been um, done on this so far. But um, the more we can push this kind of stuff out, the better it will be for all of us. Um, before I get started with the show, I, of course, I always like to tell people, because we get new listeners all the time, just a little bit about what Alzheimer's Speaks is about. And basically, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we really, truly believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having just these everyday conversations like we're going to have today about dementia, that we can remove the fear and the stigma attached to memory loss. And it's working, guys. It is working. And 
I again, I have to thank all of our listeners because it is um, a lot of times we think that we aren't able to do much, you know, for advocacy. We don't have a lot of time. But let me tell you, your likes, your clicks, your shares about Alzheimer's Speaks, um, you know, with our website in general or from the Facebook pages or from the radio show, the dementia chats, the blog, all of those things are making a huge, huge difference because, we never know who in our own circle of friends and colleagues is dealing with this because it really is a hidden source, one that people don't talk about. And so it's up to all of us to open those doors and share information and get the conversation started. Um, and again, you know, I know it's working because Dr. Oz and ShareCare named Alzheimer's Speaks as the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's. And again, that's that would not have happened without you. So that just shows what the collaboration is doing. Today's show is going to be a lot of fun. We have some great guests with us. And so if you'd like to join the conversation, we would love to have you. And you can do that a couple of ways. One, you can use the chat box, and I'll be monitoring that. And um, I can pull in your questions or comments um, throughout the show. Or if you'd like to speak to us live, you can always call in. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And you'll just have to push one so that you get into my queue that I know that you're there. Um the other thing that I always like to highlight is a few businesses because um, people are always wondering, you know, where do they connect? This is such an overwhelming disease. And Alzheimer's Disease International is the association of all associations around the world. And since we have a global audience, that's the one that I like to mention. And so you can Google Alzheimer's Disease International or go to www.alz.co.uk and there you'll be able to hook up with any association around the world. Um, in addition, they just are a great resource of, of information there. Um, some people are looking for uh, trial studies, and the Alzheimer's Studies Group has a tau trial out. And you can go to them at alzheimerstudies.com or the Alzheimer's team if you're on Facebook and find out more information. Um, I, I also like to highlight some of the other well-known forms of dementia. Um, Lewy body dementia also has their own association. So if you're dealing with Lewy body dementia, go to lbda.org. Um, there's also the Association for the Frontal Temporal um, Degeneration, and that is AFTD.org. Again, if you just Google frontal temporal lobe, you'll get uh, information on that. And then there is also um, people are always struggling with aphasia as well. And you can um, go ahead and, and Google them and find out more information regarding Google. Um, 
because and we just had a show on them as well which was which was absolutely fascinating and um actually we've had a show with each of uh those associations that gave great information and all of our shows are archived uh for your convenience as well and i would be amiss if i didn't mention norms mcnamara and the purple angel project um this is the new global symbol i should say the first global symbol hopefully the only global symbol for dementia because we need to streamline things and keep it easy for our uh, for our communities um and i also want to uh give a shout out to jiminy wicket who was over in england and got national coverage over there jiminy wicket uh, for those of you that don't know is an adaptive croquet game that's intergenerational it teaches kids in school how to deal with this disease and also pairs them up with those that have dementia and then a couple of my um, favorites, because my heart goes to music so much, even though I can't play an instrument and I don't dare sing in public. Um, music First with Coral Health um, has some great programs to help people with dementia, uh, calm down, wake up, um, help them eat, um, change change moods and behaviors. And so you can just go to Coral Health, and that's C-O-R-O Health, dot com um or you can always go to the app store and look for music first as well um i am going to go ahead and jump in and introduce our our first two guests uh these two are so full of energy and are going to be so much fun uh to talk to uh i i don't think there'll be a boring moment in the show Deborah Schaus is a writer, speaker, editor, and a creative catalyst. She's the author of Love in the Land of Dementia, Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey. She is she her writing has appeared in the Washington Post, the Christian Science Monitor, the Reader's Digest, Newsweek, Women's Day, Family Circle, uh the Chicago Tribune, Unity, and the list goes on. She's been featured in many anthologies, including more than three dozen chicken soup books. And Deborah also writes a weekly column on love for the Kansas City Star. Um, Deborah, how are you doing today? Lori, I am so delighted to be on your show, and I'm already so inspired by all the things you were just talking about and particularly our need to connect with each other and share our stories as we're all on this journey. Yeah, that's what it's about, and I think that's what makes the difference is just these everyday conversations um, that are comfortable and casual but oh so powerful and I think so many times overlooked. Um, before we get started, let me introduce your, your cohort here, uh, yes. Ron Zoglin, and he is a professional storyteller who has performed for businesses, universities, national and international conferences. Ron also um, is an antique dealer and appraiser and the owner of Brookside Antiques. He is the voice on audio tapes for even mystics have bills to pay. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> the Adventures of the Little Green Dragon. So welcome, Ron. How are you today? Oh, doing great. Thank you. Appreciate you having us on. 
Well, and you two also wrote the book um, Antiquing for Dummies Together, um, but that's a whole other story. We're going to kind of focus on the, on uh, love in the land of dementia today. And I, like I said, I'm so excited to have you guys on because you're 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 you know you go to your website and it's just fun. It's very engaging and uh, it's very evident that you two love your work. And not many people um, are privileged enough to have a job that they love. A- am I reading that right? Or, or oh, you, know, you sure you- are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Let's go ahead and start. And I'm going to point this question to Deborah. What inspired you to write this book, Love in the Land of Dementia, Finding Hope in a Caregiver's Journey? Lori, um it started out as just a way to deal with my feelings of confusion and fear and sadness when I realized my mother had dementia. And I had many feelings just overwhelm me. And since I'm a writer, it felt very natural to journal. And then I actually started writing down what I would go visit my mom or be with my dad just as a way of grounding myself. And so I sort of went through my grieving process with writing as my guide. And at some point, I started taking my journaling and creating personal essays out of them. And what I noticed is as I wrote it helped me, first of all, remember what was happening. It helped me appreciate what was happening. It let me look at my mom in a new way and realize she was really very interesting right now, even if she wasn't exactly the same as she had been before. And so when I would go back and read what I had written and when I would concentrate on the details of our times together, it really uplifted me and gave me a new outlook on the journey. And so at some point I decided that was my one of my missions is to look for the gifts and blessings in this journey that we were on together and by we I mean my mom, my dad, my brother, Ron, our friends and family and myself and also to find ways to stay connected to my mom throughout the journey. And so that's what the book chronicles. And also to look for the humor in the journey, which is part of our family creed, and which was pretty easy to do. So that's kind of the what got me going with this book. Well, wonderful. I, I'm going to make two comments on what you said, then I have a question for Ron. Um, one, I, I love that you talked about the healing of writing. It's <laughs> I have never heard anybody um, say differently once they've done it. And it, it's yeah. kind of that, it's like an accident waiting to happen. <laughs> so I encourage people to just pick up a pen, even if you're not a writer. It's amazing what can flow out of you and how how that can change your life life um, and others in the future if you decide to share it. But there is this process that is almost undescribable that happens, I think, when people write. Um, and I think sometimes we're shocked of what comes out of us and um, how, how concise and powerful and poignant 
that things can be. Um, it, and it helps, I think, drain some of the emotions that um, get us reacting to things that maybe we don't want to behave that way. <laughs> um, yes. I so well. agree with you, Lori. And I also think it helps you to get to your true feelings, and that's where that buoyancy and power you just described comes from. Yep, exactly. Um and, and I and I um also wanted to ask Ron a question. Um yes. you had mentioned, you know, uh, Deborah that you've been touched with this personally. Ron, uh, have you had any family members or close friends that have been touched with this as well? With I have, Lori, and I feel so blessed that Deborah was on this path before me because she really laid the groundwork for helping me tremendously when my father um, got uh, dementia. And um, it, it's it's really through her trailblazing that I was able to easily walk the path. And now, in the, the late, late stages of my mom's life, just in the last year or two, at the age she is now 97, mm-hmm. and I, I feel very lucky that it took her literally until this year to begin to develop uh, um, what are now becoming severe symptoms of dementia. But we have walked this path together, Deborah and I, for about 15 years, and so um, I, I, I am tuned in to what could happen, although I will have to tell you, the surprises are daily. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I've been on this journey for 30 years with my own mom, and I get that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's and I, you know, I say that, and I and I laugh and I giggle because there's just so many fun, unique things, and you know, dementia um, has has taught me to be much more carefree and much less structured. And much more respectful, I think, to to others' needs, um, which I always thought that I was. But you find that you're putting up. You you, you find that, uh, anyways. I found um, I really was positioning myself first, um, and I didn't realize that. But the emotions really told the story. So even if I had a smile on my face and said everything was okay, you know, when my innards are kind of stirring uh-huh. up. <laughs> You know that it's different, but nobody knows that but you. And and then you have to get to a spot where where you're willing to deal with that and and reframe things. Well, let's talk about uh, let's dive into the book. And if you want to tell us maybe some of your initial experiences um, sharing some of these stories that you had, Deborah, I would. For um, a long time, I didn't share the stories with anyone except my two writing partners who critique everything I do, and um, then one day I was invited, I write all kinds of things, so I was invited to be part of a literary gathering where I was going to read a couple short stories, and um, at that time Ron and I had started reading together in tandem, as we'll do for you in a bit, and so I said to Ron, I want to read one of my Alzheimer's stories at this reading, and Ron said, well, who wants to hear one of those? And I couldn't really answer him. I said, I don't know, but I have a need to read it. So we did. I read two short stories, and I read the story I'm going to be sharing with you later, Love in the Land of Dementia. And after the reading, so many people came up to me, friends and people I didn't know, saying, my mother, my father, my aunt, 
my sister, all these people were connected with dementia and had not been talking about it with other people, as I had not been talking about it with anyone except my very closest friends. So, Lori, it it was really an eye-opener for me about, and this was even, you know, eight or nine years ago, how many people are impacted by this and how much we need permission to share. And I think it was at that moment that, you know, Ron and I not only understood there was a need there, but we also understood how powerfully healing and connective it was for us to share our story with other people. You know, that is is so important what you just said right there because um, that is one thing that I I find all the time with dementia. This is like this disease that's locked in a closet. Nobody's comfortable talking, but as soon as it is mentioned, it is so rare when someone hasn't had an experience, doesn't have a question, um, isn't eager to learn or share them, you know, with others. But it's just having the outlet. And we need multiple types of outlets in in various you know media forms and at all different times of the day and that's one of the nice things with facebook and linkedin in social media is people can connect at any time but you know having a book in your hand there's just nothing like just holding a book and and reading that um or you know maybe you're one that likes to listen to the radio or watch a webinar or go to a, a live presentation like like we all do um you know but it's it's opening the door to have that conversation. I would absolutely adore it if the two of you would would read your signature story um, so that we can kind of hear you in action um, and get a better feel for Love in the Land of Defensio. Are you open to that? We'd, we'd love to. So we're going to be sharing the story that shares the name of the book, and the story is called Love in the land of dementia. And it starts like this. There's my man. My mother says to the nurse, beaming at my father. He has been out of the room for five minutes, but mom greets him like it has been days. Shyly, my father comes up to her, takes her hand. They look at each other. Fifty-two years married. My father tells the nurse as she adjusts the IV. She looks at both of them and shakes her head. (laughs) Still in love. She marvels. She adjusts her blonde ponytail, pulls the stethoscope out of her pocket, and leans to listen to Mom's heart. Your main man, huh? She says to Mom. Mom smiles and makes a noise that's right out of a Donald Duck cartoon. Mom picks up a corner of her hospital gown and tugs at it. She pleats it into little sections and tugs again. Well, you so-and-so, she says to the gown. If you aren't going to cooperate, you can't come with me. I hand a blanket to Mom. Here, I say. She stares into the blanket like there's a child cradled inside. What a sweet baby, she says. I love you, baby. I look at Dad, and he shrugs. Maybe this is the lesson we are all to learn eventually. In the end, only love remains. With Mom's advancing Alzheimer's, 
much has been lost. Rising up and sitting down are complicated events of gymnastic proportion. All foodstuffs are foreign substances. Dressing, conversing, bathing, teeth brushing, all the events of everyday life are neatly erased from mom's scope. But when my dad walks in, for a moment she remembers this is her husband. For those seconds, happiness floods her. I wish I had a relationship like you two have. The evening nurse says wistfully. She's a thin, vigorous brunette from Dubuque, Iowa. She's already been through two husbands, she tells us, as she wraps the blood pressure cuff around Mom's arm. Neither one of them was worth the polish on my toenails, she says. My parents don't have the perfect romance. Most of the time, Mom doesn't know Dad's there. Most of the time, he has to stand right in front of her to talk. Most of the time, she's her own entertainment center. Bouncing off his words, but not truly interacting with him. But when he first enters the room, whether he's been gone overnight or for five minutes, light fills her face. Her eyes are luminous, and her silvery hair seems to glow. The distracted, anxious look leaves her, and there's an angel purity to her expression. For that moment, she is present, and she is filled with only love. All who see this look, the med tech, the certified nurse aide, the registered nurse, the lab tech, the transportation aide, the social worker, all look with awe and envy. They coo and sigh. Ah, they murmur. That is the way it is supposed to be. Even the doctor looks up from his clipboard as if there's been an alien sighting. When he continues his charting, I wonder if he will write. Patient exhibits symptoms of deep dementia and signs of true love. I wonder what the links between these two conditions are. When my mother was just about my age, she used to say, I want you to kill me if I ever have to go into a nursing home. I want to just die if I lose my mind. According to her diagnosis, my mother has officially lost her mind. She came to the hospital from a nursing home. The worst. As she then envisioned it. Has happened. This disease is devastating and a huge sadness for all of us. Many times our hearts are torn open and apart by the living loss of this great woman. But her greatness remains in this simple gift she shows us. When all the ordinary things are gone, the spirit can still remain. Love doesn't necessarily conquer all or anything, but it can outlast the rational parts of life. Tomorrow, everything could change. Tomorrow, my dad could walk in, and Mom might not ever look up from her pleading, plucking, and picking. She might stare at him. Like she sometimes stares at me. Knowing he's a nice person, but not knowing just who he is. But we no longer think of tomorrow. We are enjoying the fact that Mom laughs. Even if it's at a bowl of vanilla pudding. We are thrilled with the fact 
that she talks. Even if she's addressing invisible children. In language that makes. Pig Latin seems scholarly. And we are awestruck by the fact that she loves. So, where's your husband? The nurse aide says, as she organizes Mom's dinner tray. Mom doesn't answer. She examines a pink plastic bracelet on her left wrist. Uh, Let's scoot up in the bed, the aide says. Mom doesn't move. She fiddles with the plastic, pulling at it. Then Dad walks into the room. He stops in front of the bed. Mom stops fiddling. She looks at him and smiles. My husband, she says in an awestruck voice. My husband's here, she says to the nurse and to me. That's right, Dad says. I hear the joy and anguish in his voice. I hear the depth of his grief and the strength of his love. And that's the end of the story, Lori. Oh, well, it's just gorgeous. I, I, as you were reading it, I'm like, <clears throat> this should be a movie. This should be a, a play. You know, this should be, <laughs> on, on, you know, on the big screen or, or on a live stage, um, because it, yeah, you, you touch on so many things. It's, it's hard to keep up with them all. But the simplicity of the acceptance and and seeing the joy and and that everyone sees the joy. You know, and yeah. there is this jealousy. I, I had a um, a colleague of mine once say how she was um, so jealous of my relationship with my mom because I had all these stories and her mom was healthy and she didn't have these stories. Um, wow. But again, and, and this is a woman who has been in long-term care forever, you know, like me. And I, I was just, I, I was so touched by that because I never... I guess I never framed it in that fashion, but but there is there's so much love, there's so much beauty um, that can be shared once you are able to shift your mindset um, in terms of being accepting and and looking for and creating the joy um, and getting what up. We've learned. Yeah, and, and getting out of, you know, being stuck on, you know, what's changed and what you've lost and how awful that is and, you know, projecting into the future that your, you know, your dreams and everything that you thought were going to happen, um, you know, can't happen anymore. And if you look back, probably what you thought was going to happen isn't the life you're living right now anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> So it's kind of like reality check, folks. You know, we just don't have that much control. And, um, you know, once you can really get to that place, I I don't know, for me, and I'd like to hear your side of this, I just found it so peaceful, and I, I found that I felt more in control because I wasn't trying to control anymore. I I love what you just said. Lori, and I do think that coming to surrender and acceptance is is very peaceful. And also, for me, and I think Ron will maybe say the same about his dad, I had a really different relationship with my mom during her Alzheimer's. Some of it I might not have chosen, but some of it was a huge gift for me, and part of that was my mom's playfulness increased, her ability to show emotion and love increased. And so we had a kind of 
intimacy when she was not quite so deep into her rational mind that we didn't have when we were, you know, just able to converse intellectually with each other. And one interesting story about my dad um, is that uh, dad, one of his many, many hobbies, he was quite a guy, uh, was an artist. And um, uh, his work was good, but it was uh, derivative. He would uh, copy a, a Thomas Hart Benton or a Van Gogh, and he would do it beautifully. Uh, after Alzheimer's set in, he continued his art, but there was a freedom and an openness and a spontaneity about it that was utterly unique and 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 totally Frank Zoglin and. That was a thrill for me. In fact, I am now looking at uh, some of his his watercolors that he created deep into his dementia that just um, uh, make me feel very, very, very warm and, and, and happy. Oh, very, very neat. And, it, you know, it's not unusual for people to be able to... Um, to do that artwork that maybe that they had never done prior. And people are always surprised at that, too. Um, but, uh, you know, you had mentioned about the playfulness, and to me that was one of the biggest gifts was my mom taught me how to play as an adult because I, I got a little too serious. I got to be a little bit too much of a control freak, and uh, you know, I was on a mission to get this done, that done, change the world. And, and I really forgot how to play. Um, so that was a major gift. The other gift was to see her in a play-like state like a child. So it, it oh. gave me a whole a whole new insight to this woman who I had always only known as an adult, you know, because she's my parent. Yes. But I got to see her in a childlike state. Um, I remember when my daughter was really young, my mom wanted to watch her, and we were a little nervous because she was having some memory problems, but it was so important to my mom to still be able to play that grandma role and I remember on countless times coming to pick up my daughter and watching and just observing the two of them coloring at the table and you couldn't tell who was prouder of their work you know my mom was just right there at at my daughter's level at you know two or three years old coloring and so full of joy and simplicity and the the connection they had um it'll you know my mom and my daughter's now 25 and my mom is in her end stages at 85 but that connection will never ever go away never ever ever it's so deep um, and it's just so wonderful to see um, that type of connection and engagement between two people. Very, very beautiful to see. And your your story and the way you tell it. Um, I, you know, I just love how you show at every level it's noticeable. So this is something everybody can do um, yes. if if they choose. And, Laura, you just gave a great example of a beautiful image you captured when you talked about your mom and your daughter coloring. That is a very simple and visual story, and that's the kind of story we can all just jot down for ourselves. But it gives people really something hopeful and interesting to hang on to. Um 
So, and one thing we've discovered, Lori, is we we have been very blessed in getting to travel. And every time we go someplace, we try to connect with a caregivers group or an Alzheimer's society or association to share stories. And what we have loved is the universality of the caregiver's journey, no matter what country or culture in. I'm remembering, I'm remembering uh, one experience that we had uh, when we were in um, um, Italy. We were in Florence, and uh, we were performing at um, a very, very old church. It was like uh, 8th century uh, Santa Maria Maggiore, and after our performance, the priest came up to us, and, oh, I'll never forget the moment. He looked into my eyes, and he said, Alzheimer's is the pupil in God's eye. And I still use that as a Zen koan to try to understand the depth and the power of, uh, of, of what the Alzheimer's experience is all about. I I really believe um, that it is. It, it really is here to teach us new ways, really old ways. Um, and, <laughs> That's well and, said, Lori. And re and reconnect um, and to enjoy the simplicity. Our world has gotten so complicated and so um, crazy. We're so fast paced, and and I mean I I'm just as goofy as everybody else. So don't, don't think I, I'm not for a second. But um, you know it's to be able to slow down, to be able to um, to to share a moment. I mean a really uh, just deep moment, even if no words are said um, with someone with dementia, is it's life changing. I, you know, I tell people all the time, like with my mom, she is the safest place I can ever go <laughs> because she she no longer judges anything. You know, she's just accepting, and that is so rare in today's world. So rare. I remember an experience with Deborah's mother that just impacted me so much, Laurie. Uh, one time, something that I could never have done with her in the early days. I always liked her. She's a lot of fun, a, a very brilliant, um, intellectual woman. But what I was never able to do is sit uh, across from her for 15 minutes just looking into each other's eyes and and engaging each other with our eyes sometimes coming into peals of laughter and sometimes just a, a deep poignancy. And uh, that, was, uh, that was one of the highlights of any of the times I ever spent with, with Deb's mom. Oh, that's that's beautiful. I'm wondering if you guys, you know, I, I was reading your book, and can you highlight a little bit about, I know the Tom Cruise story is a little bit long, but can you give people kind of maybe a little glimpse and then maybe read another story for us, so one of your favorites? Can can you say that just again, Lori, because oh, I want a glimpse. Yeah, we, we had a little oh, interference in our line. I think she was saying maybe a little shorter story than the Tom Cruise story, which everybody loves. Uh, but every week can get that from the book. Uh, but let's see. Okay, let's, let's yeah. See. Well, and maybe we can just... Um, How about the other mother? Would that be? Yeah. Um, maybe I can tell you a little bit about the Tom Cruise story. 
and we'll read a little section of it for you. Um, I, I guess besides my mom, of course, the other person key in our journey was my dad. And um, I never really understood how deeply my father loved my mother until she had Alzheimer's. And he was almost forced to communicate with me, where my mother had kind of been our go-between, anything emotional that came up, my mother was in charge. But now my dad was in charge. And so this is a story about my dad viewing Tom Cruise as an answer, as something that will catapult my mom out of her dementia and back into her rational mind. And my dad was often thinking about things like that. And the story starts with my dad reminding me of a time where he and my mom were celebrating their 40th anniversary in one of Memphis's older and finer restaurants. And then uh, here's what happened. Well, they were seated at a quiet corner table when a fluttering of people and a a craning of heads and an increase in conversations prompted them to look around and spot a handsome man striding through the restaurant. He seemed to have this entourage surrounding him, but he stopped to shake hands and sign napkins, and then he let himself be ushered into a private room. That Tom Cruise is one handsome man, my mother said as she and Dad settled back into their meal. And so this gave my dad, oh, he decided, how is he going to meet Tom Cruise? And he had a big plan. But my mom really, um, as my dad told her, I can get him to come visit him, my mom said. Oh, no, I don't want to talk to him. I just want to look at him. And so the story unfolds. My dad is thinking about Mr. Cruz as one of a series of possible saviors, people, places, or events that can release my mother from her Alzheimer's prison and liberate her back into the woman she used to be. I believe when your mother sees Tom Cruz on the screen, she will know who he is and remember the evening we saw him. And so my dad tells me this as we are with my mom in the memory care unit. My mom is fiddling with a bedspread. And so he devises this plan. There's a movie starring Tom Cruise. And um, he says he is going to make a preliminary phone call to the manager at the nearby theater where Tom Cruise is playing. And here's what my dad's going to say. I am an older man, and I'm bringing my wife to the movies. But she's easily distracted these days and may not stay long. If she has to leave early, I'd like to go ahead and arrange in advance for a refund. So if the movie is a failure, at least it will not cost too much. My dad is forgetting that the last time my mom went to the movies, it was a disaster. She couldn't sit still, and we had to run after her. And I'm saying to my dad, I don't think she can sit still. I don't think she'll notice the screen. I don't. She doesn't even focus on the TV when it's on. Perhaps we just haven't found the right movie yet. I believe when she sees Tom Cruise, she'll remember almost meeting him, and she'll sit and watch the movie. So 
he goes to the nurse and he finds a newspaper to find out the movie times. And I envision this interaction with the nurse hearing his plan and maybe she just nods and smiles because she's used to my father's ideas and schemes. Your father is often unrealistic. She once told me. I know that, I said. I like that about him. Me too. Like me, the nurse secretly wants one of these schemes to work. My father has a blindness that is of the heart, not the eyes. He refuses to give up the woman he has loved for so many years. Of course he knows. Mom has Alzheimer's. But he believes she can overcome it. She has overcome so much in her life. So my parents make this plan. They go to the movie. They don't want me to go with them. And so later that night, I get a call from Dad, and I said, well, what happened? Tom was on the screen when we walked in, and I think your mother smiled. But I'm not sure she actually recognized him with the makeup and different hair and such, and she didn't seem to understand how to sit down in the chairs, so we left. Did you get your money back? We got all our money back. You know, I think you were right. She needs to see Tom Cruise in person. I'm going to call a promoter I know in Memphis. And I smile as I listen to my dad's newest plan. He has an energy and sense of hope in his voice I haven't heard in months. I guess Tom Cruise is an answer. If not for my mother, then at least for my dad. That's a little snippet of it. Oh, you know, I I love how you wound, you know, how you said if not for her, for him, because it is that balance of of that hopefulness and that joy and and getting through um, yes. the whole thing and and you know how you explain about how everybody just wants this to work, you know um, the onlookers, you know, and it's it's just it's so true, it's so true and applies to so many stories out there um you got you've really done a beautiful job um with this book and your storytelling it, it's just um absolutely phenomenal oh thank you Lori. Uh, it, it hit it hits home on so many levels um you know you can't ignore it i mean and, and it's it's so graceful um, the way that you've you've worded it and um, and describe it. So I really I thank you for sharing the Tom Cruise story. I just thought that was so 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 cute. Um, before I have you share a, another story, I'm just wondering if you can tell us about you know your travels in sharing these stories inter- internationally. You had talked that you know we're not so different, and yes. and I do I think that that is such a big piece because we I don't know for some reason we we all seem to be scrambling to be different to stand out but there's just that wholeness and that groundedness when you realize you're not alone and you're not That's so right. different we Laurie we have found in fact at first it surprised us it no longer does every country we go to and we've told stories now in a dozen different countries as well as all over the United States and we were amazed when we found the similarity of the Alzheimer's experience in every country that we have uh, presented in. We've been 
very lucky. We started out um, in New Zealand, and my favorite comment is when we got done with our presentation, a woman came up and said, I really like your accent. <laughs> I was really liking her accent. But, but what we found, in, and the joy in doing this for us is just, as, as you described early, lawyer, Lori, that, that feeling of knowing we are not alone, we are connecting with other people, we are opening our hearts and sharing our deepest truths with other people, and, and those people are then coming up to us and sharing their truth. One of our more recent performances uh, was in Turkey, and uh, uh, we had to have a translator there, which worked out beautifully. And at the end, a gentleman came up to Deborah and tell what he said. He came up to me, and he said he had been caring for his wife for 10 years, and he said, your story is my story. And that's that's where Ron and I get our passion and our love of advocacy for caregivers and for people who have Alzheimer's, because even though the specific details may vary, the inner truth of our stories are the same. And even though we may have care facilities in our country and other countries more are keeping people with the families and at home, it's still the same journey we're all going through. And I, I love that feeling and that sharing and that um, bringing hope to people and receiving hope from people. And you, I know, experience that all the time, Lori. Oh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I think people don't realize is, again, in our world, how fast-paced we are and how undeep we are in our conversations. And, you know, we t- we talk about the weather and we talk about the sports game and we, we you know, crab about the traffic. and uh, But it's all superficial junk. Um, but when you yeah. get in a but when you get in a conversation about dementia, it's about real life issues, and the conversations become so deep, and the bonds become so tight so quickly, and, and it amazes me every single time, every single time. And even if it's you know, for example, I have I have not met you two in person, um, but I, I you know I feel like we're very close friends and very aligned on many things. And I, I agree. And that happens if it's through social media, if you're on the stage, um, you're making those connections and making people not feel alone. And, you know, you're, um, it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then there's this whole support in, in terms of sharing ideas that just comes so naturally about have you tried yeah. this or we did this. And and people are, are helping one another, and it's, it's almost unconscious the way it just all flows together. It's just so natural, and in, in our conversations in everyday life have gotten to, in my opinion, so unnatural. Um, you know, I think they, one of they, the great things about um, you know sharing stories is that we all go through our ups and downs on this journey, and so there's times where somebody needs a little boost, 
a little insight, a little reminder, oh, I'm caring for a person I deeply love. And other times where we, you know, we need the boost back, and I think that's something we get when we have the courage to share our stories and when we have people around who can listen. And that was one thing I noticed how scared um, some people are, and I certainly used to be, about the idea of the person who has Alzheimer's not recognizing you. Mm-hmm. And th- that scared a number of my acquaintances. So I had to learn, you know, when, when that would stop a conversation when people ask me about would ask me about my mom. And that's where a story might come in where just what you said about your mom, Lori, how accepting she was, my mom too. And so to be able to say what a great listener my mom was and to tell a story of going and just kind of pouring out my soul to her and having this feeling of comfort and connection, I think helped people who were very afraid of that absence of rational connection. Very very much so. I cannot believe how fast our time is flying here. We've only got about seven minutes left. Um uh, do you have do you have one more story maybe that a short story that you want to that you want to tell? Um, we definitely have to get people in um, in and let them know how to how to be able to purchase your book or if they'd like to hire yeah. you as as speakers yeah, as just, well. Maybe we can just talk for a minute. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about um, just a bit about the book, which is coming out at the end of October. Uh, the first in November, it'll be on Amazon and all the bookstores. And also, I'd love for any listeners who want to to come visit me at my blog, which is Deborah Schaus Writes, and that's D E B O R A H S H O U S E W R I T E S. All squished together, Deborah Schaus Writes at WordPress. WordPress. And that is a blog about navigating the caregiver's journey, but it continues. Um, our theme that there is creativity, there is hope, there is connection in this journey. So it's an informative, upbeat, and connective blog. Love to share it with any readers who are interested. Um, Also, wanted to just say a word or two more about just the blessings we feel like we have received as we go around and share our stories. And we love to share our stories with any group, and the blog is a good way to connect with us. People can feel free to email us at myinfo, it's M-Y-I as in Nancy, F as in Frank, O at P-O-Box.com, and the blog has all that connecting information. But one thing we've found is that Some of the types of groups we've shared stories with include, of course, caregivers groups and Alzheimer's groups, but also groups of social workers, occupational therapists, nurses, medical students, uh, spiritual counselors, anybody who has any connection with people who have Alzheimer's. Our presentation is not about the facts and figures of having Alzheimer's, but it's about the emotional and spiritual journey just from a caregiver's point of view. And the feedback we've received is that this can be extremely helpful 
for people who are working with families and may not quite understand that roller coaster and that deep journey that families and friends go through when someone they love is going through Alzheimer's. So that's just a a few thoughts about that. What else should we share with your viewers, Lori, as we near our ending time? Well, well, I'm wondering, you know, maybe... um, uh, maybe uh, this is one thing I always ask everybody, and, and I didn't have it on my list to ask you guys, but why don't we go here? Um, if there were two things, and I'll throw this to Ron first, um, you would want to tell a caregiver, what would it be? Wow. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, of course, we're all hoping for is... Uh, is the cure (laughs) that that seems to be so elusive. And so the thing that that I would share with caregivers while we are waiting for the cure, what is it that we are going to want to do? What is it that we can do? And that is to offer each other comfort and connectedness. And um, those are the two big C's for me. And um, in in uh, two two words, I answer your question in that double pronged way. Very Great. nice, Ron. How about you, Deborah? You know, one one thought I have is that what you talked about earlier, Lori, is acceptance of trying to let go um, of the person you are expecting to be talking to while you still honor and appreciate that person and to really celebrate the person you have in front of you and to go to where that person is when when you're there with them and to follow their lead so that you can have the ultimate connection with them. That That is something that really helped me. And... Um, and I think that's the advantage of having other people around. A couple of friends, you know, said to me, oh, I love your mom's stories about World War II. At the time they said that to me, that was all my mom was saying. So I had heard the stories 115 times mm-hmm. in the last three days. I was really sick of them. When my friends said that, I looked at those stories in a new way. And that really helped me connect with my mom and and let go of some of my discomfort with repetition and just use it as a creative exercise for myself. I think it's so creative to be a caregiver because you do have limitations, and that's one of the most creative spots you can get. And one of the the pieces, in fact, my blog today is about... um, coloring inside the box as far as being there in your limitations and seeing how can you connect, how can you communicate, how can you make the most of this wonderful moment you have with this person you love. Mm -hmm. Very, very true. Um, And when you had made the comments about, um, you know, when your friend made the comments about uh, 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 you know, to you, it made it easier with your mom's repetition. That's how I felt too when this woman told me, you know, gosh, you have all these beautiful stories. It just, 
it kind of slapped me in the face again of and I and I think I try to be appreciative, but it's good to get those slaps in the face and just say, you know what, you're really lucky. Yes. You know, it, this this might not be um sound like a pretty picture to paint, but there is an awful lot of beauty here. And um it, it does it it it's it's just wonderful to hear everybody's everybody's angles and and perceptions here. Um well I can't thank the two of you enough for your time today. This has just been so fun and um and energizing. And I really encourage uh, our listeners to to go to Amazon um and get the book Love in the Land of Dementia. Finding Hope in the Caregiver's Journey by Deborah Schaus. And that will be available when again? Because it's not it's available Amazon. at the end of October, but I think you can pre-order it right now. So I think okay. it's on there, and I think you can pre-order. Okay. Pre-order, and we love Mark. to hear people's <laughs> stories, so we'd love for people to connect with us if they want to and share their stories. And this is the new edition by Central Recovery Press. It's a brand new edition. And yeah. you'll you'll know it when you see the picture of the two hands on the cover. Yep. Wonderful. Well again, I thank you so much. Do you want to give out a website one more time and Yes. The blog is Deborah Schaus Rides D E B O R A H S H O U S E W R I T E S are um and that's my blog and it's also got lots of information about us, and we also have another website with kind of archival stories and information, and that is thecreativityconnection.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you again both for taking taking this precious time to, to share with us. I, I love the work you're doing, and I think it's very powerful. So so keep it up. And I would encourage people, if you're looking for, you know, a speaker or a presenter uh, for a conference, you know, give these guys a holler. They, they've got some, some great stuff to be able to share. So, again, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you, Lori. Thank you, it was Lori. a deep pleasure. We so okay. appreciate it. Bye bye. We'll talk talk soon. Bye bye. Good. Bye bye. Before I introduce our second guest, I am going to just do some uh, mid-program highlights that we always do on, on what's been going on since we were on air last, since we do the shows uh, once a week. Um, our last show was about witnessing Alzheimer's, and we had uh, two people on that just discussed, you know, what their observations were um, with um, witnessing Alzheimer's. One was caring for a husband, another one was a business professional, um, and um, does a lot of uh, private care for people. And so that was a that was an interesting conversation. Our next show coming up on the 29th is going to be talking about life for death with dementia and we're going to discuss kind of this taboo conversation that people are afraid to have and I think I think we have to have these conversations um I know here um in Minnesota for example there's a big push on mental health um because there's just way too much uh suicide going on and we've got to be able to have these these open conversations with people and be able to support them uh, through dementia. Our last Dementia Chats was October 8th and on that we talked about 
making a move, if it's big or small, but just understanding the input, uh, the impact of change. And they even had ideas for builders and developers. Um, we talked about um, getting groups to work together. You know, how how can we do that? And then, of course, we talked about Watertown becoming um, the first dementia-friendly um, community in the U.S. And if you want more information on that, that definitely is is on the blog. Um, there's a couple of articles that were written on that, and there's a radio interview that I did yesterday morning. Phenomenal, phenomenal experience. Again, it's not about being number one. Maybe there's another community out there. We'd love to hear from you, um, what you've done, how you've done it, and we'd love you to register in the Alzheimer's uh, Resource Directory as well uh, so that people know that you're there. Uh, this afternoon, later today, we will be doing another Dementia Chats webinar, and on that webinar, we want to hear from people on what do you want businesses and communities to do or to offer to, to make them more dementia-friendly. So we really want to dive in deep to this conversation. Um, if you're out east, we'll start at 3. Central time is 2 p.m. Mountain is um, 1. And Pacific time would be noon. So we would love to have you join that conversation. Um, also on the blog on the 18th, our uh, intern Michelle wrote a uh, an article uh, called My Grandpa, My Hero, and it's just a nice little story of how she framed things with her, her grandpa and his disease. And then there's an article and um, I believe a video on Jiminy Wicket getting some national uh coverage over in the UK for their adaptive croquet game and intergenerational uh, work that they are doing with kids. I also had a correspondence with Mark Wortman who is the executive director of Alzheimer's Disease International. And he said he was pleased to announce that um, that ADI and Asia-Pacific Region Office has been started as of yesterday. And this is a joint effort um, of all the ADI members uh, in the Asia-Pacific region. And it, so it's, it's quite exciting to see another um, another association roll out. And you can, again, go to ADI um, or Alzheimer's Disease International to, uh, to get more information on that specific um, venture if you're in that area and if that would be in need. I also want to um, just shout out again, um, if those of you are just uh, turning in right now, um, mentioning you can always go to the Louis Body Association, the um, Alzheimer or the Association of Frontal Temporal Degeneration, um, or the National Aphasia Association, if you have um, a, that specific disease or symptoms. Um, the Purple Angel again, Norm's. I, he's just my hero over there, Norm's McNamara over in the UK with all the work he is doing, pulling people together has just been absolutely um, wonderful. And the Purple Angel Project is the global um, symbol for dementia. If you have any questions, again, or comments, you can always use your chat box or you can call in live to the show. And again, that number is uh, uh, 714 364 
888-447-4757. And last, I do want to just mention the Alzheimer's Studies Program. If you're looking for a trial, there is a TAU trial that they are still uh, looking for people for. So you can go to alzheimerstudies.com or the Alzheimer's team on uh, on Facebook and find them. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our our next guest here. Gina Haskell was born and raised in Greenville, South Carolina, and she's a graduate of the University of Georgia. She lost her father to Alzheimer's disease in 2008, and in 2010, she began helping out her daughter's business which is Two Sisters Embroidery. It was then that she dreamed up the idea of the Remember Me bib. Having watched her mother take care of her father, Gina realized the importance of having simplified methods for activities of daily living. So welcome, Gina. How are you today? Thank you so much, Lori. I'm doing great and just so excited to be part of your webcast and um just your talk show. This is just wonderful. I love your passion and the time you put into this, and I'm just really excited. Well, if I could do the show every day, I would, because I, it's so much fun connecting with people all over the world that, are, you know, are passionate about their work and who are really making a difference. I absolutely um, love the Remember Me bib. Can you tell us um, how how did you come up with the idea? Um, what was there kind of a lightning bolt moment that you had, or or was it something that you kind of chicken scratched with for a while? Um, how how did you come up with it? Well, first of all, um, I watched my mom use a garment protector a, a bit over dad when he was in his later stages. Um, to cover his clothes, he always looks very dapper in his clothes, and um, just, you know, for simple spills that would bother him, she just covered his clothes. And then it wasn't until later, when I, after he died, and I started um, helping out with my daughter's business, Two Sisters Embroidery, I started thinking, well, I'm watching all these cute names go out of the store with baby names and uh, teenagers and adults, and I thought, let's do something for people with dementia because, you know, after all, they are born with the name, they are they are called the name their whole life, and and that's one thing they will answer to. I mean, they may seem a little, you know, seem a little spaced out at times and stare, but they know their name, and so I thought it was really neat um, to put their name in large letters in the type of blocks that they learned in grammar school so that when a person approaches them, they read their name and call them by name. And then at the bottom of the bib, which is the bib is 24 inches long, and so as it, as it laps over on the dementia patient's leg, they look down and it reads to them, facing them, what the name is. Um, to me, this was really something neat for both caregivers at home and really neat for caregivers in facilities um, for a lot of reasons. You know, there, there's it's hard for the nurses and um, technicians, you know, the all of the people who help there, the medical staff, it's hard for them to remember everybody. There's turnover in the staff. And so it's nice just to have the person's name on their bib. 
so that when they're eating three times a day or if they want to wear it for an art activity or whatever, you know their name. And I think that's so neat just to acknowledge that. And then a lot of times, um, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's because of medicine they're taking or just the disease, I'm not really sure, but a lot of times the dementia patients will hang their head down a lot, whether they're in a wheelchair or a chair or sitting at a dining table. And so their head's hung down. Well, if they're always looking at their name, I think that's just special that they're looking at their name. They're reminded who they are, even though their brain is telling them a million different things. Well, and, you know, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, I was just going to say, you know, what um, with the caregivers in the facilities, some of the things I observed. Now, my dad was able to stay at home. We were very blessed in that department that we, my mom could take care of him at home, and she had help um, with him. But I would go visit friends, parents, in um, the memory care units, and I noticed a couple of things. I noticed that... They like to borrow each other's clothes. They kind of wander in and out of each other's rooms. And, you know, it kind of gets comical where they, if they like a sweater or they like a shirt or they like anything, they just take it. And, you know, they're fine with it because they just think, I like it, I want to wear it. So when it comes time to do the laundry, I can only imagine how hard that is for the caregivers in the facilities to get the clothes back to the right people. But if you've got the Remember Me bib, that is one thing that is simplified because you've got the person's name on it. So no matter what division they're in in the memory care unit, it goes back to that person. And they're made of terry cloth, too, just like a your basic towel. Um, so you can throw them in with a towel load, which is nice. Um, but that's that's just how I thought of it. You know, just it's something that would simplify daily living um, in it dignifies their name. And the the daily living things, you know, one another thing I noticed with the people and the um the patients is they don't want to get dressed once, much less two or three times. So why not prevent spills on their clothes? I, I kinda did some research on that too, Lori. I, I thought, you know, what is so scary about getting dressed or bathing or what, you know, why is that so hard to deal with? Two things came to mind. Um, One is the age of the people who are in these memory care units right now, they didn't have showers back then. When they were younger, they had a bathtub, and they had a certain time of day that they took a bath. Well, now they're in a facility that, you know, the people are telling them they're going to shower and it'll be either morning or night. It may not be the time that they used to bathe. And so it's confusing, even more confusing to them. And then with dressing, if you, uh, you know, I found that if you go behind an Alzheimer's patient or dementia patient, a lot of times it scares them. They don't trust who's behind them. They don't trust what you're doing. You know, you might be stealing from them or hurting them. It's just a paranoia that we don't quite understand, but it's very real to them. So dressing, if you think about all the things you have to do in dressing, that person has to go in front of you, beside you, behind you, and it's just frightening to them. So why do it more than once a day? So with the Remember Me Biv, you know, you can 
put it on from the front. We made sure it um, has the Velcro closure so that you can still be standing in front of them, talking to them, or beside them, and close the back. You don't have to go to the back of them, of the person, and you know, zip them up or snap them or tie them. It's just a quick on and off. But that's yep. pretty much how I came up. Just a just a daily need. Well, and I do think that that makes an awful lot of sense in terms of, you know, you're saying just, you know, they they only want to get dressed once because grooming is one of the most difficult um, processes typically, um, especially as someone progresses in later stages. And, you know, there's so much that they don't understand. And so, you know, make it easy on all of us um, and make it easy on them in terms of, you know, just putting the, this, you know, I, I still call it a bib. I know people call it clothing protectors, garment guards, all different types of things. Um, and, right. uh, you know, it, so whatever you're comfortable with, please don't take offense that I call it a bib. That's, I think, what most people right. will <laughs> refer to it as. You know, when you go out, you get a lobster bib. Um, exactly. And, it, you know, it's not meant to be derogatory by any, by any stretch. Um, it's just kind of the common usage that that people have um for that but it it makes a lot of sense it makes everybody's life so much easier what i liked about um it was you know a the size was nice and large and really covered and so you could use this for um eating you can use this for art i mean so many different things but um my mom is in a nursing home and there's a lot of turnover with staff and i i I really wonder how many of the staff really know the individuals' names. Um, right. You know, and people float around from floors and things like that. And I just think those bibs would be a wonderful way for staff to be able to not struggle at knowing someone's name, to be reassured that this is what their name is. I, I think the whole identity process and the connection would flow much easier um, when you when you see the, the name um, just so pertinent there. And like you said, when people um, are down, you know, have their heads hanging down, you know, everybody likes to mm-hmm. see their name. And we don't always know if they can read or not, um, but sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's a symbol. You know, um, and it's one of those things that have been ingrained in us for for so many years. So I I think it's a very um, wonderful. I, I think it's made uh, the quality is, of it is great, um, and it's nice that people can customize you know color and things like that with the embroidery on that. Right. Um, we do. But I, we do stick with just the blue bib because we felt like we needed to use one solid soothing color and we picked blue and that's also you know either gender would enjoy it and and you're right what we do ask the people who are ordering them is what's your mom or your dad or your loved one's favorite color and that's the thread we use for the names and that has been so exciting when they that's been one of their comments is when they get it they're like pink's my favorite color or as in your mom fire engine red (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fire. My mom's uh, was so obsessed with fire engine red. She actually, when we were growing up, um, she had her kitchen appliances that color. I mean, she <laughs> was a fire engine red girl. So red is runs deep, deep in her veins. Um, right. You know, needless to say. Um, 
Have you, um, how do people, you know, get a hold of these? How do they find out about them, are, are, you know, and can you do quantities for a community so, you know, that everybody would, would have have their own? Right. Um, one of the things, and you, you mentioned, like, the stigma attached to it, one of the things that um, when we first started marketing these, we ran across, if we talked to the local um, memory care units, they seem to be governed by a big company somewhere else in the United States. Um, and then they would say, well, we don't know if they would let us use those. So I sort of just, you know, put that aside and started talking to families. And the families who buy them for their loved ones just rave about them. So my thing is, if it doesn't get into the nursing homes with the groups you know, as a group order, I still want the people to know that they can, you know, it's their loved one in the memory care unit. If they can put on them whatever they want to. So if they want to buy them, they can do that and just, you know, ask the nursing staff, please use this Remember Me bib when he or she eats or does art activities or if they just want to wear it. That's been the funny thing is the people that we've sold them to, they don't want to take them off after a meal. So then the one of the family member who bought it comes back to us and says, I need another one. She won't take it off for me to wash it. And so that's been that's been kind of fun just to see. And, you know, that's, the marketing has just, it's just been word of mouth really at this point because once somebody wears it and they find out how wonderful it is just to put it on, have a conversation about who that person is, find out more about them. You know, if somebody comes up and, you know, because I've visited, um, like I said, I've visited my friends, parents, and um, facilities, and I'll say their name and, and ask them, you know, what service did, you know, what armed service did you serve in or what kind of business did you do? Because you want to figure, and you've got to remember these people are who are in these facilities and who are cared for at home with dementia are Alzheimer's surgeons. They were teachers. They were coaches. They were stay-at-home moms. They were important. They had great jobs. And then now they've been robbed of what they knew to do. And so you've got to find something to talk to them about. And if you start with their name, that starts the conversation, whether they recognize you or not. Their name, they know their name, so that's yep. kind of, that's one of the things that just drove me to this. Is just keep calling them by name, even if they don't recognize you. Well, and our names are so powerful. You know, it's kind of like um, taking a picture when you say say cheese. Um, people who can be in their late stages of dementia, well, all of a sudden, you know, um, and they might have their head down, their head raises, their eyes up, and they get a smile on their face. You know, right. because they know they're being included. They know someone's paying attention to them, and and you know that they're being recognized, that they're appreciated, um, that they're, um, you know, involved. And right, it, and that's huge. And in our name, I mean, everyone talks about how important it is to hear our name. And I, I believe there's a study even on that. And I can't remember from where um, that it shows that um, you know our chemical balance changes and our brain activity when our name is spoken. You know, it just kind of perks oh. us up. And, right. Um, and so it's very, very important. And like I said, for 
um, facilities and communities, it's a great way to, you know, again, protect the clothes um, and be respectful of of their need not to have to keep changing and going through that process that is so difficult and then also help everybody know a name. You know, it just makes even a... Um, uh, it could be a stranger at at a dining room table, maybe another family member who wants to come up and say hi, isn't sure of their name, and it just makes it easier. Um, right. To, well, you to figure they've had this name 50 to 100 years, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for for the people who have dementia. I mean, they're anywhere from 50 to 100 years old. They've, they've heard that name so many times, and it does ring a bell. It's like, it's like if they, you know, they're, they they're recognized and there's somebody and they feel important and and with the different stages of dementia you've got people in uh around you who will talk a lot and bring up things and if they can talk to you by name that's awesome and even mm-hmm. if people don't speak it they would look at it yep exactly um exactly well i think it's just a, a wonderful wonderful thing um that you have brought to the market and you know i hope people help spread the word um that that uh, these are available and would it be possible you know if somebody wanted more than a name if if they wanted um like if somebody like dragonflies or roses or something like that to also have that embroidered on or does yes. that just get too complicated? No, we can do that. I mean, you know, my basic goal is to give back to these patients. I mean, that's the main thing. And I just, my heart just goes out to them. And if it's something that means a lot to them, sure, we'll work with them. You know, each person has their own story. Each person has their own um, likes and dislikes. So, yeah, we're we're willing to work with whatever it is you think your loved one would like. Um, I have to tell you a funny story about one of our clients. Um, he's 96 years old, and he's not the one with dementia. His wife is. So he comes into the shop, and he orders a bib for his wife. Well, then mm-hmm. he comes back a few weeks later, and he says, okay, I have to get another one because she won't take that one off to wash it, but I also have to get one for all the great-grandchildren who sit around the table with her. And I want them made exactly like that in the little blue bib. And I want their name, even if they're boys, I want them done in the hot pink, just like their great-grandmother. So now they all sit around the dining room table with their bibs (laughs) on. And they all are so proud of them, and they have their names. But, you know, I mean, that just takes me to another point, point, Lori, that um, they... I think the people who have the hardest time with this concept are the people who don't have dementia. Like like you said in the beginning, you know, there's somewhat of a stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there doesn't need to be because it, if, if the problem is that you think that person will be embarrassed, then put one on yourself. Sit yep. there with them and both of you wear one. I mean, like you said in the beginning, if you were out at a lobster dinner, they're going to come up to you and put a bib around you. Yep. And both yep. of you would wear a bib eating lobster. It's just not that big of a deal. Um, you know, Deborah was saying in the end, just try to, you know, accept and celebrate them and go where they are. And, and I was thinking, what would my two words be if Lori asked me? And I would say, go there. Just wherever that person is in their mind or their stage of dementia, go there. 
who's got yep. the embarrassment problem? It's usually the caregiver. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Just go there wherever they are. Do what you need to do. Get through that next 15 minutes. You know, Ron was saying there are surprises daily. There really are surprises moment by moment, <laughs> Yeah, as you well know, with your mom. I mean, it's just I can't even imagine what all my mother went through for the years that she took care of dad, and I love her for it. I just can't imagine what all she had to do and the changes she had to make um, and the humor she had to find when it were, it wasn't really funny, but you just have to find the humor in it. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And you brought up a great point about who's embarrassed. Um, and, and I think communities do this all the time. You know, they don't want somebody sitting by the front door. They don't want, um, you know, they, they want people to look a certain way. And, you know, with my mom, um, and I've told this dental story like a zillion times because my mom's teeth are all rotted and chipped. Um, but I, I had to actually have almost an argument, which I, I typically like to think I'm adults and can have a discussion with the dentist <laughs> who wanted to go in and, and pull all of my mom's teeth, you know, because they were rotten. And I just said, no, you know, it, it it's about her comfort. It's not about that it will be covered by insurance, you know, that it's free to us. It's about her comfort. It's not exactly. about... It's not about her look and that her smile looks gross. Now, I, you know, you can you can choose to look at it that way, or you can look at her dimples and the glint in the eye. And I just I melt when I see my mom smile. You know, rotten teeth or not, she's happy, she's joyous, and that's what's important. And you know, we really have to get over ourselves because we are doing. My belief is we are doing a lot of injustice to people with dementia, so that we we feel comfortable. And there's a there's a fine line with it. And I had a really deep discussion one time with a with a girlfriend who, you know, told me, I mean, she was just shocked and said, you know, I thought you were doing a better job of that with your mom and, you know, she deserves this and blah, 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 blah. And you you have to make her look, you know, just perfect all the time. Right. And I said, when it was important to my mom, I did. But with this disease, you know, it changed. And, right. um And there was a point where my mom's ego was let go and those things weren't important anymore and they now cause her pain and fear. And Mm -hmm. so sometimes we have to step out of our routines and revisit why are we doing what we're doing? You know, Mm -hmm. who is it really benefiting? And, And that's hard for us to do sometimes. Because then we might have to explain it to somebody else. We might have to take some time or what will other people think? You know, what will people think um, if someone's wearing a bib or someone's got rotten teeth or if someone's got, you know, sloppy clothes? Or I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. And you get to a point of it's it's about them. And these clothing protectors are a great way to let them feel um you know, protect their clothes, let them stay nice. But, you know, the texture of that, too, especially for a lot of women, um, you know, they like to rub that terry cloth. It's just a Mm -hmm. textile thing. As people get in later stages, they like that touch. And that might be one of the reasons that they don't like taking it off is because 
you know, if you ever watch somebody with dementia, you know, their hands are busy, they're kind of rubbing things or they're holding on to things. Um, and, and that's another kind of security blanket comfort thing that we can offer them. What is so wrong with that? Um, I totally agree with that. I did notice that with my dad. He He did... He tapped his hands a lot on the table, and they always had to be touching or rubbing or something. It, it's That is what they – and maybe it's that, you know, maybe their senses are heightened in certain ways that ours are not, but they do love that, and they love the touch of it. And it's just a terry cloth dip, but, you know, I took it a step further and did their name on it. So um, it's not a, you know – great invention it's just something that out of my sorrow with losing my dad alzheimer's i decided to do this to help other people and what i decided to do too is um 10 percent from all the bibs from each bib sold goes back to the alzheimer's association because they can um, provide research for a cure and they can provide money for programs to the families and that's kind of how i got started with them um i noticed that at the local uh, memory care unit, they were having free classes for, you know, questions on dementia. And mm-hmm. so I went I went to several of them. And, you know, that's another thing with the behavior thing. It's like you have to just accept that you need to go and learn about it. And I love the fact that you are online. I love that about it because if you don't want, to go and be seen that you're even questioning that somebody you love may have dementia, you don't have to be seen. You're in the comfort of your home. You listen to Lori's chats and blogs and radio talk show, and you just, you know, put those headphones on and figure it out. And I love that about what you've done with your passion and your time, Lori. I really do. Um, But some of the um, classes that I did go to, which, you know, now I'm seeing, you could learn these things online as well, but One of them was really neat, and and I go into this just to remind people that the the dementia patients have a very strong sense of who they are. We just aren't sure every day where they are, you know, what what year are they in, what day are they in. And this was an interesting story um, I'd like to tell you. It It was in one of the facilities, and the director sat in her office, and every day at 2 o'clock, one of the residents would come up to her door and he would stand there and she would speak to him and ask how he was doing and he'd say fine and carry a conversation. But she couldn't figure out how to make the conversation end and get back to her work without hurting his feelings. And every day she tried something different, but every day he showed up at 2 o'clock and would just stand in her doorway. So finally they went back to the drawing board and asked the family, now tell me, what did your dad do in his employment, what did he do? Let's take this back a little bit. And they said he was a UPS driver. They said if you give him a clipboard when he shows up at 2, all you need to do is sign that paper and he will have done his job. And so the next day that's what she did and that's exactly what worked. He thought he was there as his job and he just needed her to sign the, the paper. Mm-hmm. And so... so Every, I guess my point is every one of these patients has a story to tell. They can't necessarily tell it, but they all have a past. They are beautiful children of God, and we need to 
stick with the fact that if we can start by calling them by their name and get to know them, just how much easier their day is going to be and how much easier the caregiver's day is going to be just by simplifying their life and dignifying who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Um, I, and I, I love that you're you're donating to the cause as well. It, this is just on so many levels. This is just it's it's so nice. It's a it's a wonderful um, business and product um, that you have to offer. Um, I just thought of things now that we're in um, football season. Can people you know have like a a, a football team type bib? And, and if so, what would that look like? Well, what we do, um, we don't get into the, you know, collegiate uh, registered trademark type things, but we can put on there, you know, in our case, go dogs is what my dad would say because he was a Georgia graduate too. You can put anything you want on there that you think would make your loved one happy. It doesn't have okay. to be the name, but you, we can do because we make them all here. So we can do whatever um, you think would make that person happy. Um Speaking of football, my dad, who was a big Georgia football fan, he went through a stage where he just wanted to go home to Athens, Georgia, which is where he was from, and he just kept saying, somebody take me home, take me home, even though he had lived in Greenville for many, many years, 50-something years. Um, And so, you know, my mom made sure that for that period of time, somebody would drive him down the highway until he saw the big sign you know, where you turn the exit, you turn to Athens. And then they would make that turn and come right back. They didn't have to go all the way to Athens, but they would go just to see the sign, and he thought he was going home. And, you know, it's just things like that that I just admire caregivers like my mom so much because they every day is a different surprise. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what, you know, you'll have to do to make it through that day and, and, and it is a long day and a long night. Um, I, I just, I have utter respect for people who are going through this. Um, I, I just, it's a horrible disease, and it just takes special people to, to take care of your loved ones and do this, and then to uh, just everything that it entails. Yep. But like, you know, like Deborah said, you just look for the gifts and the blessings. Her writing helped her stay uplifted, and I think that's great. She looked for the humor. Um, I, I loved listening to the first part of this hour, just hearing all that they had to offer. I'm excited about her book coming out. Um, you know, you mentioned music therapy. Mm-hmm. That's something that a lot of times they'll do, you know, right after a meal. And, I, you know, I've seen it. I've been in places where they're getting ready to go in the activities room. But whoever spilled on their clothes misses it because they've gone to change, and that takes a really long time to have their clothes changed. So to me, that was another reason to have the Remember Me bib is to, you know, keep clean so you can keep going. You go to the next activity after you eat, go on to music therapy or art therapy or whatever it is. Well, you know, that that's a wonderful point um, because that is, so true that people do miss out because they do have to go get their clothes changed and you know it's just a um a difficult difficult time um you know trying to juggle and it's it's um hard on family or staff that are you know trying to reposition and reorganize and and this takes that out of the equation 
you know, right. and just just makes it so much easier, which is which is fantastic, you know, to be able to and do. And I'm sure you probably I'm sure you probably noticed too um, that a lot of times um, dementia patients will look down, and if something is spilled on them, they will pick at that as if it is a three dimensional object that they have to get off of them, even though it's not coming off if it's you know soaked into the clothing. But they will almost obsess over that. That's one of the reasons we did um, the Remember Me Bib in a plain, just solid color. I learned from the classes that I went to um, that patterns on plates, they, if you go say if it's a floral pattern, they're going to pick at the flowers as if they're real. So you need to have something just, you know, monotone, just one color, and and then they will see the food. Otherwise, the food just sort of seems just as three-dimensional as the flowers on the plate. So that's why we did the bib just in a solid blue soothing color so that they're not confused by it. It's not a print. Yep. Very, very good. Very, very good point. Um, is there is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? I really appreciate the time that you've taken today, and, and I and I love that you, out of love, you know, in the land of dementia, you know, you you came up with a way to serve people better, um, and I, I am. I am amazed every day at what people are doing out of love to to make this disease um, more tolerable and to make life easier and to make life more joyous. And I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing that. Oh, thank you, Lori. And, you know, just my prayer is that people will um, reach out to people like you, Lori, and just get help and use your resources because you've done the homework. You've met um, people all over the world through this, and they just need to tap into the resources that are here. This is just a wonderful resource, and I wish I had found you when Dad was still alive, but it's not too late because I feel like we can help people moving forward. And I just want to thank you so much for letting me be on the show, and um, I look forward to having many more times with you, Lori. Oh, wonderful. Um, can you share uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you, Gina? Right. Um, our website is www.two sisters, and you spell out T W O, two sisters embroidery.com. My email, Gina, G E N A, dot two sisters, T W O S I S. T-E-R-S at gmail.com. And then we also have a work number. The area code is 864-430-3576. Wonderful. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for all that you're doing and taking the time to share with us today. It was just a, a privilege to, to speak with you and um you know, my mom absolutely, you know, loves her bib, and um, it and it it helps. Plus, you know, uh, one of the things that I've noticed too is it keeps her warm. A lot of times, she likes a little blanket thrown over her, and you right. know, she she you know she just needs to be uh, have that layer, and she loves the touch. You know, she oh, loves good. that 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 textile. 
of it and so um and, and the the engine fire engine red that you were able to do um you know for us as family that just symbolizes you know her essence um Aww. you know and and know that that would make her make her smile um even if we know even if we don't know if she can um in particular it makes it it brings us joy um, well, that's in terms great. of seeing that on her and it and, and it my also heart goes out to my heart goes out to you and all the caregivers and you know I just want to say it um just um it it just is so hard for family to go through and I know that it took me a couple of years to even embrace the word Alzheimer's after dad died um but if I can embrace it and help other people that's what I want to do and so you know I just want to thank you for having me because maybe this will help somebody I think so. I, I definitely think that it'll help a lot of people. And I, and again, I really think that there is uh, the community should take a strong look at this. I think it will help their staff and families immensely um, in terms of dinner time and activities. Both, I, I think this is a, a great investment, and it will help people connect on a relationship base not just a, a task-oriented one as well. So thanks again, Gina, and you have a wonderful week coming up. I can't believe Halloween's almost here. <laughs> I know, I know. And then November is National Alzheimer's Awareness Month for the United States, so we're excited about that and hope to get the word out, especially during that month. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you again, and we'll talk soon, okay? Thank you, Lori. Yep, bye now. Um, I want to just wrap up the show with, again, thanking everybody for listening and would appreciate it, again, if you have not liked the show, if you would um, like it on Facebook, if you would share it with your LinkedIn groups and friends, if you have a Twitter account, if you can tweet. Um, all of those things really help. Or you can email the episode or you can even embed the episode onto your website. Um, you know, this is just about connecting the dots for people, um, giving them information and giving them opportunities to to know what's available. Um, as my mantra is, um, it's about progress, not perfection. And, you know, moving forward with creating joy is just uh, so critical and much easier than we think if we just get out of our own way. Again, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the Association of Associations. There's also a Lewy Body Dementia Association, an aphasia. Uh, National Aphasia Association and the um, Association for Frontal Temporal uh, Degeneration, um, known as AFTD.org. Um, those are probably the most common vascular dementia as well. I have not had them on the show, and I'd love to uh, get connected with somebody in that organization and have them come in and, and talk about vascular dementia. As always, thank you to our our, our uh, mentor around the world and global figure, uh, Norms McNamara, for all he has given and uh, shared with the world in terms of shifting our dementia care culture. Our next show will be next week um, at Tuesday at the same time, so I hope you can join us. Until then, have a blessed week. Bye now.
Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.